0: What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Fin Sports Football Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Giandalletti, Jr., and today, guys, we are going to be reviewing the Dolphins' Week 10 victory against the Cleveland Browns. But before we get into that, if this is your first time here on the channel, welcome. So happy to have you here. If this is not your first time and you've been a subscriber with us for a while, welcome back. Always appreciate the constant support. Make sure you guys are subscribed on whatever streaming service you're listening on. And make sure to leave the the podcast a five-star review if you like what you hear. So as I said, guys, today we are going to be reviewing the Dolphins' Week 10 victory against the Cleveland Browns. And this is something new that I'm doing on the channel About two weeks ago, I purchased NFL uh, Plus Premium. And basically with that, you're able to get the full game replay, condensed game replay, and the all-22, just because I don't have, like, people inside the building to where I can get the film earlier. So I have to purchase it, obviously, through the subscription. At least right now, that's the only means I have of getting it. Um, And what I realized is, like based off of last episode or last time I did this last Wednesday, you know, I'm not going to try to act like I know more than I do. I think I like to just stay in my lane. I don't claim, you know, I'm not a Kyle Krabs. I wish I knew that much about like film and stuff like that. Like I'm, I've am i never played football. Um, I don't coach football. I, I didn't go to college for any scouting or anything like that. So right now at this point in my life, I'm not the best with breaking down film as far as Xs and Os and being able to tell you exactly what formation or what disguise the defense is in things like that but I do believe that I have more of a more than just a basic understanding of football and so rather than trying again to to go outside of my lane and and say things maybe that I don't know or or try to talk about things that I'm not super educated in I'm just going to basically use the all 22 to um, basically get a different perspective on the game and rather than break down every single play or, you know, anything like that, just because I don't have a YouTube channel right now. What I'm going to do is kind of just do a podcast episode talking about the game and what I learned from watching the all 22 um eventually i do plan just being completely transparent i do plan on starting a youtube channel for these types of um episodes i plan on having a channel to where you can come on and watch what i'm talking about uh and i also eventually want to uh go get a certification in film um in in studying film uh that the scouts do uh it's like a one thousand dollar subscription or certification and so I eventually plan on doing that just because um, I want to I I just want to know more about the game I want to educate myself and become a better watcher a better podcaster so eventually this will be more of an in-depth review it's just for right now again I'm going to stay in my lane and I'm not going to be you know a Kyle Krabs or anything like that those people are phenomenal at what they do I'm just going to use the all 22 as a means for me to kind of see if there's anything I missed when I watched the game and then the condensed replay on Sunday. So with that in mind, what I kind of want to do from here on out is after I watch the All-22, I kind of want to create like a theme if I could sum up what I saw in like one phrase or one sentence what it would be. And when I watch the Browns game, what my thought or the initial thing after I finished watching all of it was this game was actually closer than it should have been. And that's saying something considering, you know, the Miami Dolphins won 39 to 17. You know, it's it's rare in the NFL that you're going to win by three scores, especially against a team like the Browns that many people, including myself, looked at and, and thought, you know, this team is much more talented than their record would would indicate. And so the fact that you're able to win by three scores against a team like that and still come away from it being like, oh, we, we could have done even better. Like this wasn't even, I mean, we, this score should have been 50 plus points, right? So that's what I walked away mainly from the, the film thinking was on all three phases special teams, defense, offense, I was like, oh, the Dolphins right now aren't even clicking on all all cylinders offensively, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Special teams, we're going to get into, although we all know what I'm going to talk about. And then on defense, it's not necessarily how the defense played, but it's maybe some calls that should have gone the other way that shouldn't have allowed the Browns to score as much. So let's go phase by phase and kind of address why I believe that this score shouldn't have been as close as it was. And again, it's it's funny to think that because it was 39 to 17. So it's not like I'm saying the score shouldn't have been close. We won by three points. No, like this score, realistically, the Dolphins should have won probably by like 40 points. No joke. The Dolphins probably should have won by like a score of 49, maybe even 50 plus points to like 10. Not even joking. Can Can't lie about that. So let's first start off with special teams. Um, I kind of want to get Jason Sanders out of the way because I talked about him at nauseum on last episode. I talked about him for like 10 minutes, and I'm, I don't want to talk about Jason Sanders anymore. However, for film review sake, um, you know, there's nothing, again, I'm not a special teamer. I don't know what I saw on the, on the kicks, um, but what I can tell you is that I still stand by what I said, that Jason Sanders, it would be a disservice to the Dolphins and to the fans if he was on this team when they played the Houston Texans in a week and a half. You know, I think that for the last year and a half, he's gotten progressively worse and worse. And Mike McDaniel, in his press conference on Monday, I believe it was, came out and said, you know, I'd be worried if I didn't think he'd be able to fix it. And to that, I say, look, I understand it's coach speak, but he's gotten worse and worse the last year and a half. And to me, that shows that he can't fix it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's gotten a lot better and he's progressively been getting better and better. No, he's getting worse and worse. And what that shows me is as a kicker, you're probably losing that confidence, losing that mojo that you have, that you need. Um... And that's why I believe that the Dolphins really should at least do their homework and and bring in some kickers to try out. Because like I said last episode, I understand there's not a lot of great kickers out there, but that's assuming that Jason Sanders is even a good kicker. You're not trying to replace a good kicker. You're trying to replace a really bad kicker. And I find it hard to believe that there's not someone out there that can do a better job at converting extra points right I'm not talking about converting 50 plus yard field goals I just think that there should be better kickers out there that are able to not miss two extra points a game and miss a 29 yard field goal the week before to me that's concerning and again my expectation of this team is I believe the Dolphins right now are the second best team in the NFL after the Chiefs I I legitimately believe that I think that with what you've seen from the Bills um, what you saw from the Eagles against the Commanders and even against the Texans the week before, I legitimately think that like aside from the Chiefs, and that's really mainly just because of Patrick Mahomes, I think the Dolphins are like one of the best teams in the NFL. And so my my thought is I'm not looking just to win games in the regular season. I'm thinking what's going to impact this team when we're in the playoffs right and I legitimately have concern with our kicker because we've all seen year and year again when we're watching the playoffs how big of an impact these kickers can have on games I mean your kicker can decide whether or not you go to the Super Bowl we saw that last year I don't know the kicker's name Evan McPherson I think from the Bengals we saw him how big of an impact he had we've seen it time and time again with someone like Justin Tucker with the Ravens so like I legitimately am concerned with Jason Sanders, and I think that the Dolphins should and probably will try to replace him in the next two weeks. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, because Thomas Morstead hasn't punted, I I, I will self-evaluate what I said. I'm an idiot, um, and the Dolphins have punted in the last two weeks. I think they've punted three times. Or I'm I forget Coach McDaniel said it in um when he was talking to Tua in the mic up which you should go listen to the Dolphins have punted like three or four times in the last three weeks uh, I think they punted once against the Bears and then I want to say maybe two times against the Steelers I'm I think um, so the no punting in the last two weeks that was a lie by me I should know I should know what I'm talking about before I come on here um, but yeah but. I can't really talk about Thomas Morsted because there's nothing really there to to address. However, the opening kickoff, um, and this again kind of goes to the they got more points than they really should have had. On the opening kickoff, again, starting, we've seen it with the Ravens, opening kickoff touchdown. We saw it now with the Browns, opening kickoff 50 yards. What happened on the opening kickoff is if you're watching it from the All-22 and you're watching it from the Dolphins' perspective of them kicking it off, Trent Shurfield was on the right side of the screen and I'm watching it right now um, and I'm going to pause it right here and right when the kick returner, um, he kind of breaks into the left side of the screen and Trent Shurfield breaks contain and he doesn't maintain that outside leverage and then the guy just cuts it out and there's no one there on the outside because Trent Shurfield broke contain and he just breaks it for a long return. Um, and I think that's something that, as, as well as Trent Shurfield's playing, that's something that when they watch the film, at least from my untrained eyes, it goes to. It, ish, it looks as if Trent Sherfield doesn't hold his containment. He breaks in, and then there's a wide open, no one there on the right side of the field or right side of the screen where the returner ends up just gaining 50 yards and Jason Sanders gets him out of bounds. So. Special teams is definitely an issue. Um, I don't think there's any way around it. I think Thomas Morstead has been phenomenal this season. He's been great. I look back at like when we had the safety and he had an 82, I think it was 82 yard um, punt after the safety, which is ridiculous. So he's been sensational, but you need a new kicker and Danny Crossman. I have some serious concerns with him because um, this is two times where you've given up huge plays in the return game, one against the Ravens, against the Browns. And my thought is if I'm a coach, I'm saying you better kick that mother effing ball out the end zone every single time. And to me, I just don't get it. I think it's I think it's one of the stupidest things ever. Um, stupidest? Stupidest? Most stupid. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know. Let's just go stupidest. No, most stupid. I think it's most stupid. Anyway, well, tangent. Um, I think it's incredibly dumb when these kickers don't kick it out of the end zone. Because in my mind, the way I think about it, and again, I'm not a player. Maybe they think about this differently than me. But why would you give a returner any option to return a kickoff and possibly get a touchdown or great field position? I don't don't get that. If I were a a, a kicker, I'm telling my coach, I'm kicking it out of the end zone every single time. This returner is not going to get one chance to return a football on us. They will start the ball at the 25 every single drive, and they will have to earn every touchdown or point they get. I'm not going to give them free yards because I kick, you know, and I kick it to the one-yard line because I'm like, oh, let me kick it to the one-yard line so they have to return it and rely on us to stop them because even though, yeah, you should have good special teams, why even take that chance? So I'm not really sure if that's like, I know this isn't Madden. I know you can't just tell a kicker, kick it out of the end zone every play, but like that's what I would be trying to do. like Every single play, I'm trying to kick it as far as I can out the end zone like i don't even want it to kind of even come close i want it to be like hitting the stands every 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 time so that's something that i'm not really sure why teams do that right now the return rate of kickoffs is 30 percent. so 70 percent of kickoffs are either touchbacks or kicked through the end zone so like if i'm jason sanders or if i'm danny crossman like why even take the chance of a guy being able to return a kickoff so I don't know, man. Uh, again, I'm not trying to steer outside my lane, but like from my untrained, just a fan, I don't get the concept of allowing a guy to return a kickoff. Like every kickoff to me, go through the end zone. Yes, there is a possibility that if you kick it to the one and your guys do a great job, you can stop them inside the 20, but like there's also a chance they could score a touchdown on the play. So it's like the 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 high of the play is is not as high as what the low is because the low is they could get a touchdown the high is what I mean yeah I guess you get a fumble return but it's like unlikely so yeah that's just something that I would do from here on out just kick the damn ball through the end zone kick the damn ball through the end zone and let the offense start at the 25 especially to start a game out because the Ravens got a lot of momentum because you start off the game up seven points the Browns get momentum because now you're starting your first scripted drive at the 50-yard line, right? So it makes things a lot easier. You're most likely going to get at least three points out of it. So at least on the opening kickoff, or like say you have to kick off the ball halftime after halftime, kick the damn ball through the end zone. Plain and simple. Next, let's talk about the defense. And to be honest with you, I sat there watching... And there wasn't really much that I saw that I was like necessarily like as much as the, the Bears game and the Lions game to where I sat there and I was like, man, I really need to address this. The main things that I saw that honestly where I'm like, this should have been called, you know, or this would have affected the score of the game and why my overall theme of watching the film was this score should have not been as close as it was. There were so many holding penalties on this defensive line. And I don't know when refs are going to start giving favorable calls consistently to the Dolphins. Because right now it seems like the Dolphins get like one good call game and the rest of it's just you crapping on our team for 60 minutes straight. Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips get held on nearly like every other snap. There were so many plays where I'm like, Bradley Chubb right now would be on top of your quarterback sacking him if you weren't choking him and holding him by his neck. And I just don't really understand, like, again, maybe I just need to relearn the rules of holding. But there are there were so many, just on the defensive line, there were so many holding penalties to where I'm like, oh, that completion right there for 30 yards, yeah, that should have been a holding penalty. Okay, the, the run, the nick that Bradley Chubb did, no, Bradley Chubb, I was right, Nick Chubb, the run that Nick Chubb has for the touchdown, okay, go watch, go watch the replay, you don't even need to watch the actual all 22 if you don't have it, just go watch like the highlights, okay, you don't even, you just watch the broadcast view, and pause it right when Jerome Baker is in the middle of your screen, I don't know who's holding him right here, but there's a guy lit, literally grabbing him by his jersey and holding him so he can't run after Nick Chubb. And based off where it takes place, that's a ten yard penalty. And based off where the again where the foul takes place, instead of it being a thirty three yard touchdown run, it's most likely first and twelve or first and thirteen. But instead, no, it, it was blatant. It was literally right in front of the ref. Nothing was called touchdown. And yes. I know that the Dolphins were up 30 to 10 at the time, but it's stuff like that where it's like, where's the consistency? And I feel like it's time and time again where the refs are like, hey, it's about me. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not about you. It's about the players. Like we're tuning in to watch the players, not you. Okay. Um, and that was the main thing that I saw where I, I understand every game is going to have penalties on both sides where it's like, you know, that could have been this call. That could have been that call. And I understand that. But in this game, there were a lot of plays where it's like, hey, 15-yard completion to, um, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, 30-yard completion, you know, 33-yard run where it's like these plays shouldn't have happened because it's just a blatant holding, like textbook holding right on the defensive line, and nothing's being called. And, and we're just giving up, you know, that, that, that right there. If you get a 20-yard completion, but it should have been a 10-yard hold, that's a difference in 30 yards. That's crazy. And so... That's why, again, when I watched the defense, I was like, oh, like this, they shouldn't have scored as many points as they did, okay? Um, There's nothing really I have to say about the opening drive. Like we talked about last podcast episode, your opening drive is scripted, right? Teams go out every single week and they script their first one, probably two drives. And so I can't knock a team for scoring on their opening drive because I, as a Dolphin fan, expect that we will score every opening drive because that's the drive that you practiced, you scripted, you know exactly what's going on. Um, And so I expect teams to at least get points on that drive. And especially when you start at the 50-yard line because of a big return. I mean, I think me and a lot of people out there, we just need to be a little more patient that like, hey, if, if a team scores on their opening drive, it doesn't mean as much as you think. Obviously, you'd like to see no points scored, but it is a scripted drive. They did practice it. They did you know, go through it and walk through. So I can't knock them on it, okay? Because after that, they were clamps. They, they allowed 10 points in the remaining 57 minutes of football. I think they scored in like three, four minutes. So in the, in the next 56, 57 minutes of football, they gave up only 10 points. There's not really much from a defensive standpoint that I have to criticize. Now, what I will say is this. The The Dolphins' defensive line, I, I loved it. I can't lie and sit here that I can say I expected it. Because this Dolphins' defensive line dominated what I consider to be one of the top three offensive lines in football. I mean, like, the offensive line for the Browns is, they're not scrubs. And the Dolphins' D line was consistently applying pressure with four or five guys. And... I was honestly shocked because like we've said all year long, and I said this last episode of the podcast, the Dolphins run defense is actually really good. It's just unfortunately you've gone against Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and Josh Allen. That's going to affect things when they're able to run for 100 yards per game at will. Um, And that needs to be addressed. But nonetheless, I can understand why your run yards per game allowed is inflated. But when you take away quarterbacks and you just go based off of running backs, which that's the that's the fear when you play a team like the Browns, is Nick Chubb, the Dolphins were only giving up, they were giving up under 77 yards per game rushing. That's phenomenal. And what I saw in this game was the Browns basically, it was like one yard run, or one yard run, one yard run, two yard run, one yard run, eight yard run. One-yard run, no gain, negative one-yard run, you know, and that's how it was the whole entire game. It was like they were doing nothing on the ground, and then out of nowhere they'd get maybe like an eight-yard run or, you know, the Nick Chubb 33-yard touchdown run. It was little things like that to where when I watch the film, I could look at the stat sheet and be like, yeah, well, they, they carried it for like over four yards a carry, but when I watch the game... I was like, oh, the running game was a big reason why we won so much. The run defense. Because, yeah, they may have had four yards per carry. You know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt may have had like four yards per carry. But at the same time, a lot of drives were stalled because they'd have like one yard run, three yard run, incomplete pass, punt, right? And then the one drive that they would get a 33-yard run or an 8-yard run, that's going to inflate the stats. But the Dolphins' run defense, I think, was the key to why they won this game. I go back to the preview of this matchup, and I said, like many people were thinking, if you can stop the Browns' run game, Jacoby Preset is not going to destroy you, and he didn't. And this secondary did a phenomenal job, especially Zavian Howard, allowing under 40 yards to Amari Cooper. That I, I can't really ask for anything more. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that because you were getting home with four or five guys, you could drop more people in coverage and it made it a lot easier on the, the Justin Bethels and the Cater Kohus and even the Xavier Howard who's dealing with two groin injuries. So overall, when I watched this game, Especially, or I watched this defense, the defensive line was dominant. If we can continue to build on this, I think the Dolphins' defense is going to be a very annoying, tough defense. I don't think it'll be like a top five elite, but I certainly think it could be a lot better than it has been, you know, the last, up until this game, nine weeks. So that was really encouraging just to see the Dolphins kick complete ass up front for four quarters straight um okay so now switching to the offensive side of the football uh as we are continuing to talk about the theme of the dolphins had more points than they technically should have had more points than they technically had the main thing i'd look at with this was the drive where cedric wilson goes back to take the pass now Here's where I'm going to play devil's advocate. I understand both sides. I understand Mike McDaniel wanting to change things up, catch the Browns off guard, because if you go watch the play, especially from um, the angle of like where it would be on Madden to where you can see you're the offense and you can see the defense, when you watch that angle on the All-22, Cedric Wilson has Tyree Hill wide open for a touchdown. And he is a good enough passer to where that is an easy touchdown. He has about six, seven yards of separation. Easy touchdown, end of drive. So I can understand Mike McDaniel's play call because we can knock him for calling the play. But if you call it and it should have worked, but your player didn't throw the football, I can't can't get so mad because it's like if that would have worked and if Cedric Wilson does throw that football and doesn't hesitate and we get a touchdown... We're all sitting here gushing about Mike McDaniel pulling, you know, bunnies out of a hat and just, or rabbits out of a hat. Bunnies? Wow, I'm struggling today, guys. I'm sorry. Um, But, you know, it's just like Mike McDaniel's just killing it. He has such creativity on offense. Cedric Wilson, we knew he could throw the football. We expected it, and he did. That's what we'd be saying. But because it didn't work, we're like, man, you shouldn't have called that play. Now, playing devil's advocate... I do agree with again that ideology that they probably shouldn't have, and the reason I say that is because in my mind, um, trick plays are really should only be used like in desperate must-win situations, and at the time that they called this, like you were just destroying the Browns, like they had no answer. They had no answer. They looked like lost out on the football field you were running all over them tua was being efficient and to me the issue i have was i don't th- i think the dolphins are too good to be calling trick plays against the cleveland browns especially given how good our offense was doing you know that trick play is something that you do against the bills or you do in your playoff game your first playoff game you know that's when you pull the tricks out of the hat or tricks out of your sleeve you don't do it against the Cleveland Browns when you're just dominating them on all phases of football. You don't do that. So that's where I had an issue with it is yes, it was drawn up perfectly. Cedric Wilson should have completed an easy touchdown. However, you don't need to run them. And I guess it's not so much me being mad, it's me just being like you guys are better than this. You don't need to be running trick plays. Just run it the f down their throats and dominate them without you don't need tricks you're better than them. It's not even close. You're better than them. You don't need to be doing tricks right now. So that was my problem with it. Um, But regardless, that play right there that was called should have been seven points. Okay. So right there, that's four more points on the board because we ended up getting a field goal that drive. Okay. So now we're talking about 43 points. You missed two special teams calls or uh two extra points so that's two more points so now it's 45 um uh, excuse me sorry 45 to what it was what would be the score 17 and then that touchdown run where uh Nick Chubb gets that touchdown it's like that shouldn't have been that should have been a holding penalty it should have been first and 13 who knows so at least at the minimum the score should have been like 45 17. And then on top of it, if you go back to another drive where the Dolphins, it was uh, second and one. So it was first and 10, then second and one. They run three plays in a row that are all runs. And this is, again, I'm going to play devil's advocate again. I can't blame Mike McDaniel for trying to run the football three times to get a yard. You should be able to do that. I do think that the spot on the Durham Smith sneak was a horrible spot because when I was watching the all 22 I was like he is clearly past the first down marker and they didn't give it to him so I think we all agree that that was a bad spot however you give the Dolphins 10 more times to redo that scenario and 9 out of 10 times they get a first down and with how this offense was moving you're at least going to get three more points out of that at minimum with a field goal but most likely a touchdown so like right there we're talking about 45 points and then you add a field goal or a touchdown now you're talking about 48 points to 52 points like the Dolphins offense was like we could have put a 50 burger on the Browns for sure and legitimately this game could have been like 52 to like 10 Legitimately, Like not even joking. This game could have been like 52-10. It could have been like murder on the field. Um, and then on top of that, the other thing I have to say that where I'm like, oh, we could have scored more points is what's crazy about Tua's game right now is that I said this on last episode. He's only in game seven of this offense. And as well as he's playing because he's playing like a top quarterback right now in the NFL. I think it's Mahomes one, Tua at two, Tua is number Tua. As good as he's playing, there's still lots of opportunities per game that he's not capitalizing on. And I don't blame it on like him necessarily as far as like he's not he he's not playing well. I blame it on he's not used to this offense. He's still getting used to his receivers because he's only played with them seven weeks. And as he gets better and better in this offense and he learns more about it and feels even more confident with his receivers, with the timing, all of that, and he gets his deep deep passes going, because I'm not talking about deep passes like throwing a go route. I'm tired of people just thinking that's a deep pass. You can have a deep post. You can have a deep corner, a deep like in route. You can have a deep comeback. That's what I'm talking about. Not just his ability to throw the ball straight to Tyree Kill. And... I was watching a couple of people's film evaluation of the game. Um, and then I went and rewatched it when I got access to the All-22 because those people got it before me because they didn't get it through the NFL. They, I guess, I don't know. They know people. I don't know. Um, but when I was watching it, like the first play of the game should have been like a 35-yard, 40-yard completion to, to Jalen Waddell. Um, he runs, uh, uh, Tyreek Hill runs like a deep in route. And right when he breaks in, uh, Jalen Waddle breaks out on like a deep corner route and he's wide open. And Tua kind of hesitates. He doesn't really set his feet the proper way as quickly as he should. And he throws it out to the flat to um, Raheem Mostert and it's like a three yard gain. So it's things like that where I'm like, what's crazy to me is that's why I said Tua right now is only in game seven when he's in game 20 it's going to be lights out. It's it's not even going to be close because he's missing a lot of opportunities, not because he's not good, but because he's just new in this offense. He's not used to all this right now. And what I came away from the game, especially in the passing game, is I was like, holy crap. It's just like this, this offense has an answer for everything. It's like, you know, traditionally, they've been playing like man or cover two. It's like, hey, you want to do that? Well, we're, we're going to destroy you. Hey, you want to play cover four, which the Browns did mostly in this game? Well, we're going to run all over you. And that to me was the biggest takeaway that I got from the offense was the run game. If the Dolphins can have a run game similar to that every week where it's not elite, it doesn't need to be even as good as it was against the Browns. But if you can have a run game like that every single week, good night, it's over. Don't even show up to the stadium. It's over. You're going you're gonna to dominate teams. Um, and I think that on offense, I had three standouts to me that were like, man, these guys are just doing the Lord's work out there. Jeff Wilson, Teron Armstead, and Trent Sherfield. So starting off with Trent Sherfield. Trent Sherfield, as I said, is doing the Lord's work out there. He, to me, is take Mac Collins, make him just a, a more dangerous wide receiver as far as physicality and speed. And then on top of that, keep his special, t- excuse me, keep his special team's ability, and then add the fact that he's probably one of the best wide receivers at pass blocking in the NFL. There's a play, and you you hear this the right way, okay, You're not hearing things. There was a play where Trent Shurfield blocked Miles Garrett. Think about that. Trent Shurfield, there was a play where he blocked on a run Miles Garrett, who, in my, for my money, top three edge rusher in the NFL. What? Like, who does that? And he did a good job at it. That's what's crazy, is they didn't ask him to do it and he got like destroyed. He did a really good job at it. And a lot of that's because of the misdirection, but like the fact that you went one on one with one of the best edge rushers in the NFL and you did a good job. I mean, there's nothing that even comes close, and I think that he does a lot of the dirty work in the wide receiver room. And Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle obviously are better, and they're going to get more of the flowers. But Trent Sherfield, what he's doing, especially in the run game. It's sensational, and it makes you understand why guys like Cedric Wilson and Eric Azukama are having such a hard time getting playing time. Because when you have someone like Trey Shurfield, who is a good wide receiver, obviously with a touchdown catch, he had that one catch um, in the third quarter, I believe it was, where he catches it and just knocks the guy over, spins out of it, doesn't fall down, and runs for an extra like 15 yards. When you have a guy that's that good in the pass game, great in special teams, although in the first opening kickoff wasn't his greatest moment, and then phenomenal as a pass, uh, a run blocker, it's going to be hard to get him off the field. And right now, Trent Sherfield is the clear number three wide receiver, and he is just doing a sensational job really in all areas of his game. Next person I want to talk about, Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson right now, I stand by what I said on Monday. He is the most polished running back that the Dolphins have had here, In a long time I can't even really think of the last time we had someone like him now obviously things can change it's only been two games but when I look at him what I see is it's a guy who may not be as fast at his top speed as Raheem Mostert but as far as his ability to find the gap and hit the hole and burst through and 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 to the second level he is just as fast his burst and quickness is crazy and that's why it's really important that when we watch the 40-yard dash in the draft, it's not necessarily about that, but it's also about the 10 and 20-yard split because it's how fast can you, how how quick are you, right? And that's why guys like Tyree Kielder are so dangerous is because they can just stop and turn direction and go back to 23 miles an hour in two seconds. And when I watched Jeff Wilson, yes, if you probably said, what's the fastest you could run and you compared it to Raheem Mostert, moster can run faster but there's no gap as far as his ability to just have a quick burst through a through a gap and then on top of that what's even better with him than moster is his physicality this guy is looking to destroy you on every run Mostert's one of those guys where he's mostly just speed but he is still tough there was a play where You know, it's a little pass out to him on a first and 15. He gains like 12 yards on it and he gains four after contact, refusing to go down. But Jeff Wilson is looking to bully you. He is looking to find you and hit you as hard as he can every single run. And when I watch that, his ability to run you over, I, I pair it with his burst and his vision, since he's known this offense for quite some time. And then I pair it with... The fact that he can catch the football, which Chase Edmonds struggled with, and he's a good pass blocker, it's like, you found your RB1, because I think he's running back one right now, you found your running back one for a fifth round pick. And hats off to Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel for not having an ego, getting rid of a guy like Chase Edmonds after they just paid him, realizing it's not working, you move off of him, and you find a guy for a fifth round pick last minute that in the last two weeks has been maybe one of the most important players on your offense? One of the most impactful? I mean, Jeff Wilson pops off the screen. And if the Dolphins can now have that duo with Raheem's speed and good vision, but then Jeff Wilson's speed, burst, vision, and power, and we haven't even gotten into him as a pass catcher and pass blocker, uh, again, it's like the rich get richer. And this Dolphins offense, who already had a bunch of weapons, now gets a guy that, I mean, again, has been one of the most impactful players on the team, actually. Not, not just the offense, on the team, since he got here two weeks ago. And then the last player that I wanted to talk about is Teron Armstead. Guys, when was the last time as a Dolphin fan that you can legitimately say, we had a left tackle that week after week can take the other team's best edge rusher and completely make him irrelevant? When was the last time you had a left tackle at 70% right now? Because he's not at 100. When's the last time we've had someone like that that can go up against a top three pass rusher like Miles Garrett and allow zero sacks and, and just completely take him out of the game plan? Do you understand how valuable that is? Teron Armstead right now, like, I know we talk about Tyreek Hill, and I know we talk about Tua and the scheme, but, like, what Teron Armstead and this offensive line is doing is magnificent, and I've always been at the mindset where people are like, you have to give T- uh, you know, Tua weapons. No, you don't. Tua Tua can elevate his receivers. I said that after the Kansas City game in 2020. I mean, he went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. And his best wide receiver was like Matt Collins and Malcolm Perry and Lynn Bowden. He, Tua doesn't need wide receivers. Anyone who thinks he does is lying. Tua needs a good offensive line and a complimentary run game. The fact that he has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are extra. They don't make him. Tua was 14-7 before they got here. And now that he has both of them, he's 7-0. Oh, that's awesome. But he was 14-7 before them. What The difference you're seeing in Tua now is he actually has time to like read defenses, and he, he doesn't have to worry about getting hit every single play, because you have a Tyron Armstead and a Connor Williams, and honestly a Robert Hunt and Jones, and I'll even put Shell in there, the whole offensive line, that are giving him time to sit back there and evaluate what's going on. And Teron Armstead, again, the fact that I can say as a Dolphin fan that we have a left tackle who's able to take the third best pass rusher, arguably, in the NFL and eliminate him from the game, that is invaluable. It's incredible. And I—I I, when I look at him and Tyreek Hill and even Bradley Chubb and Jeff Wilson, it's like the people that the Dolphins have invested in are paying off. The people the Dolphins put a lot of money and investment into are paying off. I know Chase Edmonds hasn't worked, Cedric Wilson. They're finding a role for him more as a gadget guy, and he's doing great in the return game. But you're not paying him thirty million a year. But the guys that they did invest a lot of money in are absolutely paying dividends. So, like, hats off to Chris Greer, and Mike McDaniel. So that's it, guys. That's I, I, again, I didn't really talk specifics uh, this episode, just because. Again, like I wish I could be like, I know exactly what formation or disguise they're in. I just don't yet. Like, I'm not that educated. But what I can do is I can watch the all 22 and gather things that I may have missed at different angles during the game, things that I could go back and pause and really see. And overall, what I saw is just the Dolphins right now aren't even firing on all cylinders. They had a lot of missed calls. On defense, A lot of holding calls that should have negated big plays like a touchdown run for Nick Chubb. Special teams, you, you left two points out there at least because your kicker missed two extra points. So that right there is a 40 burger, 41 points. And then on offense, two is still new in this offense. So he's still kind of missing, you know, certain reads because he's not used to, you know, everything yet. He's going to get even better with it. And like. Overall, it's just like Jeff Wilson. How I felt about him before the or before the film All Twenty Two was like I thought he was the most balanced running back. And after watching it, I'm like, yeah, he's RB one in this team. He's RB one. Raheem Mostert is now the complimentary back that you bring in. But like him, Teron Armstead, Trent Sherfield on defense. Like Bradley Chubb had a phenomenal game. Christian Wilkins, the secondary. Like, we're missing Byron Jones and the secondaries holding their own, which is great for depth. And also, eventually, you know, Xavier won't be here because he's getting older. Byron probably won't be here at the end of, or at the start of next season. So, like, you need those guys to gain experience. And I think that overall right now, I mean, what a better way to head into a bye week. Get healthy. Regroup. Because you got a long-ass stretch coming up. I mean, you got the Houston Texans, which I respect them. Cause they're an NFL team and they held their own against the Eagles, but at the end of the day, it's a team you should beat. Let's be honest. But then I mean, you got whoever was making schedule. The schedule in the NFL office must have an agenda against the Dolphins, because you schedule three away games, two of them back to back on the West Coast, and then an away game in Buffalo. Like, what the hell did we ever do? Um, so that's going to be one of the toughest schedules I think the Dolphins have ever had. Uh, I mean, it's like I can't think of anything harder. Two West Coast games, you're from Florida, you have to go all the way to California and then up to Buffalo in the freezing cold. It's going to be tough, but it's really going to show us and reveal the makeup of this team and what they're made of. But overall, from the film review, Dolphins with a dominant 39-17 victory, but coming away from the film review and just certain plays that I saw, certain calls that weren't made, certain throws that weren't made, um, maybe uh play calling you know with the Cedric Wilson pass or going three runs on second and one third and one and fourth and one the the Dolphins could have scored more way more points than they did they probably could have hung a 50 burger against the Browns and it's just it's wild what this team's doing right now hats off to them and I'm excited to see what they're able to do in this last stretch of the season um before, we end the podcast, um, I did want to bring up that originally I wasn't going to do the episode today because, um, I found out, woke up this morning, found out that my godmother passed away, um, this morning from cancer, um, a long heartfelt battle with cancer. Um, and so I wasn't going to do the podcast, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I was Not letting things like this get me down because stuff like this is a celebration of life. Um, And so I wanted to take time at the end of my podcast rather than playing the fight song, the Dolphins fight song. I just wanted to end it with a moment moment of silence um, for my godmother uh, who's up there now in heaven uh, looking down on us.